Alternate Realities has been gone for over five years, but our community lasts forever. And now, in these dark times, the AR signal lights up the night sky, and the old gang is ready to answer the call as we celebrate a year's worth of holidays together. This is The Longer Halloween. Welcome to The Longer Halloween, a My Comic Shop History tale. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is part three, Christmas, and I am joined by the spirit of friendship and fun, Rich Roney. Hello, everybody. Welcome, sir. So let's just get right into this. We have some breaking news. So we were going to record this a week ago, and we were all set, but we we ran into some technical difficulties, and we decided to push our recording a week. And uh, in the interim, we actually had a, a... I would say a relatively major development within the world of alternate realities. Now, rather than I try to give context and paint a picture and set the table and all that, let's just, what happened? Can you, can you share with our listeners what transpired? Yes. Uh, our, our joint friend, great friend, Steve Odo sold 150 long boxes, um, to a purchaser from, uh, I believe it's a, a retired police officer from Albany, but he unloaded 150 boxes in one fell swoop, which is a big move. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, we've, we, so for long time listeners, right? Like we've talked about this many times over the past five years that I've been doing this podcast. And it's also uh, documented on film in my comic shop country. Uh, but for anyone who needs a quick refresher, when Alternate Realities closed in 2015, Steve took his remaining inventory, again, which he did not blow out uh, during the store's you know, final days. He took his remaining inventory uh, and he's been storing them, uh, storing all of his products in uh, two, initially three, and then two uh, large units at, at a Westies warehouse. And he's been slowly, you know, selling, uh, selling everything off uh, uh, via eBay. Uh, so that's what he's been up to. You know, whenever people ask, like, oh, what did Steve do with everything? What has Steve been doing? That's what he's been doing. He's been selling off the remaining inventory uh, that he's been storing in these warehouse units via eBay. And uh, so, you know, you shared with everyone what just happened. And I'll, I'll, I'll go a, a step further. So uh, a few days ago, well, as of our recording, uh, Steve posted on Facebook and this is what he said. And I did not have any heads up that he was going to do this. So I found out when I read this Facebook post, Steve wrote a long time ago, they used to say, Sko will never close alternate realities until one day he did. Then they said, Sko will never live long enough to get rid of all the comics in the warehouse until one day he did. That's it. Kids alternate realities has no more comics all gone. Silver Age, Bronze Age, Modern Age, every X-Men, Batman, Superman, Avengers, Justice League, small publishers, kids titles, every retailer incentive. And then he says below are before and after photos. And he closes it by saying, end of an era. And, you know, inevitably, you know, many people, you know, started commenting and reacting. And a good number of people clicked the, the sad react button on Facebook and I have to say, you know, I was, I was, the, the two emotions that I was feeling, one was, was surprise, not total shock, because he and I have had conversations at various points over the years about, you know, potentially blowing everything out, um, or not even blowing everything out, but, you know, unloading <laughs> everything to, to a wholesaler or another store or something like that. So 
I, I knew that this was something that he had at least entertained to some extent. So I wasn't like gobsmacked. I was a little surprised that he had taken the step, right? So I was a little surprised, not shocked, but a little surprised. But more than anything, and I think this is something you and I share, I, I, was, I was relieved and happy for him that he doesn't have all of those comics weighing him down anymore. Yes, um, you and Bill and I all share. I mean, I, I called him and I sent him an email and I said, congratulations, really heartfelt congratulations. I think over the past couple of years, he's become more and more concerned about the time it would take to sell these piecemeal or to t sell them in small, small increments, just how time-consuming that, that would have been. And I also think he was concerned that, God forbid, something happened to him, uh, the burden it might place on his son to to unload those things. So, I, heartfelt congratulations. Um, my sense would be this wasn't an easy decision, um, because we've spoken about this. Steve loves comics. And he also loves the whole process of, you know, organizing and alphabetizing and putting in numerical order and getting a sense for what's there. So kudos to him. Good move. Um, I congratulate him. Uh, I, I am intrigued. I, I know he sent uh, I sent him an email. He sent me a note back that there was a small hiccup. And then he put one of those uh, um not smiley faces, but really a face that was beat red and steam was coming out of the ears. <laughs> so so I'm sure something didn't go according to plan. But listen, uh, if there's a after picture and they're vacant um, back issue bins, heartfelt congratulations. You know, good, well done. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you 100%. And I, I have not spoken to him directly. I commented on his Facebook post. I told him I'm looking forward to hearing the full story and, you know, perhaps that's something that we'll, we'll, we'll have that happen on the podcast at some point in the future. Uh, and I did text him and I just said, congratulations. Um, I did not hear back, but I, I texted him congrats. And uh, I, I do want to say real quick though, you know, because in his post, he said that, you know, people said that he would never live long enough to sell everything. And I guess I do. Well, Actually, I think he's the one that said that more than anyone else. Probably. And I guess like if I ever did say that or if I ever did feel it, it was only in the context of him selling everything one comic at a time or one statue at a time or one trade paperback at a time on eBay. Just given the volume of stuff that he had, it's like, yeah, it, you know, at that rate, as much as like to his credit, he, you know, even now, because again, the comics are gone, but he still has all of the trades and toys and statues and supplies like it's not he's not done but the comics themselves are gone um but and, but then and now like he has hun like literally hundreds of ebay listings up so he has been selling but again you know when he's listing you know a, a book at a time or something like that it's just yeah it, you know you, you do the math and it's sort of like how how is he ever going to finish yeah yeah you know? yeah no kudos to him i i i don't know how this came about. I don't know how he learned of this this retired police sergeant, um, or how the, this guy learned about Steve. I, I just forget the the connection points. Um, I think you and I have chatted for a while that we always thought that he might give uh, Ben from Zap Comics a call, and you know, because uh, I think years ago um, Steve blew out all the back issues, uh, sold them to Ben years ago. 
And Ben's the only guy I can think of that has the scale to take on something of that size and and make it work. Unloaded it at uh, conventions and stuff like that. Ben would have been my first thought. But I'm happy for Steve. I think this is a weight off his shoulders and kudos to him for pulling the trigger on the decision. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like I said, I am curious to get more of the story from him. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm curious because, you know, Steve has he's not been shy about this. I mean, he shared it you know, on these podcasts, you know, he has or had in his mind, you know, a, a sense of what he would want for all of these things, what he considered the value of these things to be. And so, you know, if he found someone who, you know, met him halfway or matched him or, or whatever it is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it worked out. I'm, I'm curious, yeah, to, to kind of, like you said, hear more about how this came to be. I will share uh, two thoughts. And I, I said this to, to Bill, I called Bill, I called you and I, I didn't get you immediately. I left you a voicemail and then I called Bill right after. And I said this to Bill and then I said this to you and I'm going to say it again. Now, the two, uh, thoughts that, that, <laughs> that came to mind other than surprise and, and relief were, uh, one, you know, at the time I didn't know if this was a step toward, um, actually divesting himself of one of the units at Westies. And, and obviously that's not the case. He still has plenty of stuff. And our understanding is that uh, some of the stuff that he has at his house will now make its way over to the unit. But for a brief moment, I said, I said, this might be, you know, a step toward, you know, uh, you know, getting rid of one of the units. And I said, what a dark day at Westies. <laughs> Because, you know, the, when we did our, when we did our episode, you know, uh, last yes. year or at the beginning of this year, right, we called it Westie's best customer. And we've joked about, you know, how he's, <laughs> he's their top customer and they must love him there because he's had these large units for five years and he's a great customer, right? Like he's nice and he's, you know, he's clean and he doesn't give them any issues or anything like that. And so I just had this image of, of the Westie's workers, like seeing all of these boxes leaving and then yeah. just being, just saying to themselves, like, what, like, what, what, what do you think he's doing? Like, do you think he's going to bring them back? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or really like the manager going in the back room and breaking out his files and going, I got to change next year's projections. I know. And I'm thinking it's like right at the end of the year, like this is really <laughs> yeah. going to screw there them goes up. There my year end bonus. <laughs> uh, and then the other thought that I had was going back to that, that episode that uh, you, me and Steve did. Uh, really early on in, in 2020 before the pandemic, right? Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. where, you know, the alternate realities was preparing to be a vendor at Undiscovered Realm Comic-Con, which, of course, because of the pandemic, could not happen, and, you know, uh, so it goes. But uh, I said to myself, because, you know, people, I guess, have been asking, like, you know, will Steve, whenever the convention is ultimately able to occur, will, you know, will Steve be a vendor, as he was originally planning and, you know, Bill and I actually talked about this in the first episode of The Longer Halloween, where we felt, before we knew he sold all this stuff, right, we said, we feel like that window has has kind of closed. Like, there was a moment in time where Steve was open to being a vendor, and he signed up, and he was going to do it, but it just seemed like he got his out, and he wasn't going to revisit it, and now... <laughs> Now that he sold, so that was the other thought that I had. I'm like, I feel like he sold everything because he's like, this way those guys will never ask me again <laughs> about doing another show. I sold all the comics. Yeah. In some ways you can never, pre it, 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 this is contradictory. In some ways you can always predict how Steve will react, but then you can also never predict how he'll react. Um, and, you know, uh, you're speaking about uh, the longer Halloween. 
Um, another tradition we have is getting together New Year's Day and having our brunch. And I think that's where this whole the, this whole idea about Steve participating in a convention in Westchester County, specifically at the county center, uh, all evolved. And, you know, even Bill was prepared to fly in and work the convention. Uh, I, I think you might have even had some literature prepared uh, or, or pictures, um, uh, you know, yeah. just working the table, just yeah. working the table with Sco. Yeah, I mean, I, I commissioned. <laughs> it's actually... Uh... No, you can't. Where is it? Oh, it's actually like right behind. It's literally right behind. We're we're FaceTiming right now, and it's literally behind my head, so you can't see it. Okay. Or if I turn, maybe you can see it. You can see it a little bit. So yes. I, I commissioned a piece of art from Chris Giarusso, and he drew uh, Sco and myself behind the table. Uh, at were you doing the salute? Yeah, we were doing the salute, and we were holding the AR sign, and that was the artwork that I used to promote that homecoming miniseries of my comic shop history, which ended up getting aborted, you know, two episodes in uh, because of the pandemic. But yeah, like we were, we were all set. And uh, I mean, that's not to say, you know, he could, he could still do a convention with the stuff that he has left, the trades and the, and the merchandise and stuff like that. Again, I, I would be very, very surprised if he did. Like if you're an alternate realities fan out there and, and you're saying, oh, I hope Steve does a show. Like I would, to borrow one of your phrases, Rich, like I wouldn't bet the ranch on that. Like don't hold your breath. You never know, but I doubt it. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boy. Yeah. 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 I, I'm oh. speechless. I can't predict either way. So, and I guess one last uh, quick Steve update. So, you know, he's still, as has been discussed, he still has his uh, diamond account and he still gets the diamond order form and he still orders each month, I think just enough to sort of keep the account open. And I think he's ordering things that he himself is interested in. I don't know. He might be ordering some stuff for friends. I'm not positive. Uh, but he posted a photo of, uh, of the latest catalog and as he was going through it. And uh, I'm trying to see if I can, I can pull it up on his, on his uh, Facebook page. Let me see. Bear with me for a moment here. He posts a lot. So it's uh it's not it's not always easy to to find exactly uh exactly what you're looking for. Uh I don't want to waste people's time. But I commented, but, no, go ahead. Isn't it kind of isn't it more difficult now that DC is spun off from Diamond? I mean, it, it must be more difficult to hit the minimum to maintain the account if you can't tap into the DC merchandise. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine he did not acknowledge that specifically, but I, I would imagine. Uh, but when he posted this photo of the order form, I commented and I said, you know, my prediction is by mid 2021, we'll see another Facebook post of an empty kitchen table and he'll write. Uh, you thought I wouldn't close the store and then I did. You thought I wouldn't yeah. sell the comics. Then I did. You thought I'd never close my diamond account. Well, it finally happened. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I, I guess that's sort of been a little bit of, of a lesson, I don't know, for myself, for all of us, right? Because especially with the closing of the store, we've talked about this so many times, but right, like it was that ever-present threat of like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm not going to renew the lease, and nobody ever believed it, and then he finally did. So, you know, he's, I, I, I'll give him this. I mean, he's, he's taken some steps in these past few years that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. Yes, yes. Uh, one other thing. I think, Anthony, it was about a year and a half ago, possibly. Um, Bill came into town. Yeah. You still 
lived uh, off, off North Broadway. And I remember I came in for like a Wednesday and you assembled uh, Steve, myself, Bill and yourself. But I remember one of the things, you know, we, we joked about is how do you get Steve to do something? You tell him he can't do it. And he is so ornery and stubborn and tenacious and defiant. You tell him he can't do it. Oh, that's like putting a, you know, a big red flag in front of a bull. For sure. So, all right, we've talked about Steve enough. Let's talk about you. Okay. And, and one thing in particular, well, a few things, but I want to start with this. So in uh, selecting the AR alumni for this longer Halloween event and assigning uh, each of you to a different holiday for these various episodes, they're not random. Like I've, I've, I do put some thought into it. Uh, for example, Roby was on our last episode, Thanksgiving, because he's become quite the chef. And I felt like the food tie-in, you know, made sense to kind of have him on there for Thanksgiving. So the reason I wanted to have you on for the Christmas episode or our holiday episode, it's not just Christmas, right? Whatever you happen to celebrate, you know, we, we wish everyone, uh, you know, a happy holiday. Uh, but the reason why I wanted you on for the Christmas episode was you and I met uh, Christmas 2002 at Alternate Realities. We met the week between Christmas and New Year's. Yep. Yep. And can you explain why you were there? What was the tradition that you used to that you used to follow when oh, the store was open during that okay. time of year? No, thank you for the question. Let me answer it, but let me also make a commentary about our first our first meeting, so to speak. Um, so, for your listeners, um, I'm not going to mention the name of my employer, but I, for years and years and years, I traveled a certain. Certain years, I traveled 45 weeks of the year, and uh, I would basically um, open offices or close offices or consolidate work between offices. So I saw a lot of airports. I saw a lot of hotel rooms, a lot of uh, car rental places. But <clears throat> the work always slowed down year-end. It was kind of for our whole business unit. Uh, the understanding was, look, uh, you know, the last two weeks of the year, there's no travel. And I would always use you know, the the pressure was off. I really couldn't do anything the week of the holidays. Um, so it started out. Uh, I would go in whatever whatever the the Wednesday or as close to the the delivery of uh, content and the sale of content. I would go in and just hang out in the store. And I saw, you know, it it was really uh, super relaxing. I mean, I didn't have to. Uh, I didn't have to, you know, get up, put my suit on, the tie and all that. I could just roll out of bed, have a cup of coffee. And then all of us, we, we always, we gravitate at the store. Now, when I first started doing it, that was really the era when um, uh, Brandon and, and Drew and Steve and Mike Kaplan were all joint owners. Um, Prem was very involved. Um, Tom, Tom Doherty was one of the workers there. So I would start going in. Usually the 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 the, sh the sale day, and just spend the day, and it became like an event. Okay, you know, Brandon would come in, or Bill would come in. We go out and get lunch, or we we you know, uh, there were times Brandon and I he was going to buy a collection. We go look at it. It was just very spontaneous. Uh, later in time, uh, this was under under your supervision, but later in time I would also come in. And uh, you had started the theme, the theme sales. You know, there was the burn notice day. There was the white collar sale. Um, 
so this was a tradition I had. I'd say, Anthony, it probably on the order of eighteen or, or eighteen or twenty years. I did it. I did it. Now the other thing I do vividly remember meeting you because, as you know, one of my favorite characters is Green Lantern. Uh, uh, Hal Jordan and Alan Scott, but I was really devastated when they they um, made Hal Jordan go crazy and become a villain and. Uh, you know, from the time I was eight and nine years old, he was one of my favorite characters. Uh, and then I just thought it was just done very poorly because uh, it was super abrupt where they had him go crazy and um, become a killer and just, you know, turn his back on, you know, 40 years of history. It drove me nuts. But there was an issue that came out. I think it was a, a JLA uh, Spectre. Spectre Soul War, Soul War, or something like that. Now I remember you had started at the store, and I remember before I met you, I would come in and Steve would have little tags up Anthony's pick of the week. So even before I shook hands with you, there were certain things that I I would pick up and and contemplate buying based on your recommendation, your digest of it, and hey, here I think this is good. Um. But I remember I was super excited for the JLA Spectre Soul War. And you very graciously kind of chided me and say, you know, just you were super diplomatic. But you kind of said, you know, to use my words, Rich, I wouldn't bet the ranch on that. You know, you might you might not want to buy it. And I remember um, I, I perused it real quickly and I decided not to buy it, which was which was a good thing. But it crushed me because I was hoping this would be an incremental step in his redemption as a character. Now, later in time, it did happen with, you know, Alex Ross and, and others, you know, there was a, a, a lot of pushback on making Hal a villain. You know, there was, I think something called heat. Alex Ross was very involved in that. And there was a lot of um, fan pushback on that whole action. And ultimately over time, they did bring him back as a hero. Sorry, got long winded there. Sorry about that. No, you hit on a lot of stuff that I, that I want to, I want to pick up on here. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I remember our first meeting. What's funny to me. And I was thinking about this is that I started working at alternate realities the summer before summer 2002. It was after my freshman year of high school. And yet I didn't meet you until that winter. And the reason, you know, we've talked about this on the show was, you know, I, I was very shy. And so, you know, again, you would come in during the week, that one time of year, but normally your routine was to come in on Saturdays. And, you know, every week that I was working there over the summer, whether it was Steve or Bill, you know, someone would always say, hey, like, why don't you come out to dinner with us on Saturday? Mm. And again, it was really just shyness. And I always politely declined. But as a result, it, sadly, it delayed our meeting until that winter. Um, but I, I distinctly remember, you know, we were breaking down the shipment. We were towards the front of the store. I think it was set up, you know, a little bit differently than it than it was later on. Uh, but I remember being at the front of the store and I remember meeting you. And yes, I remember that conversation about JLA Spectre Soul War. It was a, for anyone not, and actually most people are probably not familiar with this. <laughs> it's a, um, a, a, a two-part prestige format uh, miniseries written by uh, J.M. DeMatteis and, and drawn by Daryl Banks. And and again, it came out uh, winter 2002. And I had read, there was a, a site that I used to go to all the time. Oh, oh yeah. The uh, Fourth Rail. Fourth Rail, yeah. Fourth Rail was a comics uh, review site. Uh, and they were great. And I found that, I guess, my 
my interests were, were kind, my tastes were kind of aligned with, with their site. Um, and so I came to really put a lot of stock uh, in, in their reviews. And I remember they, like the night before I had seen a review of Soul War and they had given it, I think, a one out of 10 or a two out of 10 at most. And so when you mentioned that you were interested in that, and again, this was the, it was funny because I was thinking about this in advance of today. It's like, you know, I, I guess kind of ballsy on my part where it's like, I've just met you. <laughs> You're like, I'm so excited for this comic. And I'm like, you don't want to read that. <laughs> and, and, and Anthony, to interrupt you, right? That was 18 years ago. Yeah. Right? And I can remember it like it was yesterday, but I do remember just kind of the, the, uh, kind of the chiding and the hesitancy <laughs> to go like, but basically you were telling me, look, look, I really don't think you're going to enjoy that. It's, I think it's going to be a bit of a letdown. You were super diplomatic, but it, 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 it's emblazed in my brain. I was so excited for that. And I thought, Oh God, finally they're going to redeem him as a character and he's going to reawaken his friendships with the justice league. And this will get things on track. I didn't know what a train wreck that thing was. I mean, in retrospect, I, I don't think I've ever read the whole thing. And I do like, um, I hope I'm saying it right, Demetrius. Mm -hmm. I mean, his, uh, some of his work on um, with um, Keith Giffen on the Justice League, I thought was superb. Uh, I do know Demetrius can get very, uh, on occasion, philosophical mm -hmm. or metaphysical. Um uh, some of his work later on time on the Spectre, I, I loved, but it's almost borderline vertigo in some ways. Um, but um, I'm, I'm just I'm just thrilled Jeff Johns came along and got this on track. It's I want to circle back to to Hal Jordan in, in a moment, but you know, in advance of today, I was saying to myself because we've you know for people who have listened to all of these episodes, like we've we've told our meeting story before, and I was saying to myself, I'm like, what? new dimension could could we possibly find like what could i possibly add and i said to myself you know what as much as you know i read that review of soul war and i you know kept you from buying it i've never read the story and i said to myself you know what i'm gonna read it i'm gonna read jla specter soul war and i'll be honest there was a little i had a little bit of fear because i said to myself could you imagine what if it was like this great story and i steered rich <laughs> away from it and meanwhile he would have loved it but I said, I was like, all right, I'm going to read it. And this way it'll, it'll give me something to talk about. And, and, you know, whenever we do these podcasts, right, like we're, we're never out to disparage, you know, anyone's work or anything like that. And with Demetrius in particular, there's, there's other stuff of his that I've, I've read that I've really enjoyed. I will be completely honest. I, I couldn't even finish the first issue. Oh, thank God. I, I have not read it. I have not read it. Uh, so you would have been one up on me. Um, but we, we've said this also with our admiration of writers and artists and, and creators. You know, at least they took a chance. They tried to do something. And you don't – there's always that dynamic of how much is it is an instruction from editorial or management versus how much is it is the, the purely the work of the creator. Um, uh, no, uh, uh yeah, I'm kind of relieved that your conclusion is what it was, because if you had told me, you know what, Rich, I was wrong. They knocked it out of the park. You'd really enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. And so I thankfully, I didn't have to really invest much because both issues are on the DC app. 
Uh, so I was able to just kind of, you know, pull them up digitally. And, it, you know, the, the basic premise of it is that there's a, an interdimensional force known as the trans, which I don't think that name would really play today, but this was almost 20 years uh-huh. ago. And uh, anyway, this, this force is able to uh, basically feed upon people's fears and make them manifest. That's sort of like the general premise of it. And so it's the specter teaming up with the Justice League. And, you know, it's funny, as far as that fear that I had, that it was actually a good story that I that I kept you from all these years. The opening pages are actually okay. Like, uh, there's this series of sequence, or a sequence, a series of scenes where Hal Jordan, the specter, is um, approaching each of the Justice League members and, and, and helping them in battle. And as he approaches them, he is reflecting on... Uh, each of them and his relationship with them. So like he has some commentary about Superman and then about Batman. And those few pages were actually kind of interesting. And that was where that fear was really creeping in. And I'm like, oh, this is actually not bad. <laughs> uh, and then it kind of, it kind of, you know, goes from there and just, it, it did not hold my interest. Uh, I, I got most of the way through before I, I, I kind of tapped out and I did not read the second issue. Uh, so I, I stand by, you know, my, my original ad- advice, <laughs> I guess. No, Anthony, I remember vividly uh, where, where we were standing, where the book was, and, uh, and then just your counsel. So, uh, but, you know, I wanted to talk about Hal Jordan because, you know, uh, you know, you, we, it's funny because like you and I talk comics a, a decent amount, but not as much as people might think. And we've always talked about this as far as, you know, the, the, the dinners and just hanging out at the store. It's like, yeah, there was comic talk, but not, it's not like that's all we talked about. Right. Um, and so, you know, we've touched on the, the Hal Jordan stuff over the years, but we've never podcasted about it. And I was, yeah, I was kind of curious, like what it was like to go through that as a fan of the character at that time, because I was really reflecting on this. And I was, I said to myself, you know, during that period of time in, in the nineties, uh, most of the major DC characters were replaced for some period of time. Now, in the case of, you know, Superman with Superman with the, with the four replacement Superman during uh, Reign, you know, following the death, uh, with respect to Batman and Nightfall, with Azrael taking over, uh, with respect to Wonder Woman when Artemis, you know, won the, won the mantle for a period of time. In those cases, you know, I think it was understood by all parties, you know, fans and publishers, that this was a short-term thing. Like, I don't know that anyone really thought like, oh, this is it, you know, for, forever. Uh, and each of those stories lasted, I mean, for Superman and Batman about a year, I forget how long the Wonder Woman thing was, but roughly that same amount of time. Then, uh, as we move through the DC universe, you have, uh, you know, the Flash and Green Arrow, cases where, you know, Wally West assumed the mantle after Barry died in, in crisis and Connor Hawk assumed the mantle of Green Arrow after, after Oliver died. And in those cases, you know, those two characters, they, they carried, you know, the mantle for, for years. I mean, Wally's case, decades. Um, yes. So, so in, in those cases, you know, those weren't, the clearly were not envisioned as, you know, a short-term story. Like that was something that DC committed to for a, a good amount of time. But in those cases, uh, both Barry and Ollie went out heroes, right? Like they left behind a heroic legacy. So I say all of that <laughs> leading up to this, you know, with Hal Jordan, it's like that must have been exceptionally difficult because it wasn't something that, you know, it wasn't short term and he went out a, a villain. So it was like, you really had this, this one, two punch. I mean, what, what was that like at the time? Um, 
Uh, and I'm even processing it now in, in response to your question. Um, to your point, right? And, and I'm kind of setting aside um, uh, Connor with Green Arrow and Wally with the Flash. But again, Barry and Ollie went out as heroes. And then also with the big three, uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, it, it, always in the back of my mind, look, um, the primary character is going to come back. This is kind of a, just a, a, a spark to generate more sales or to get some media attention. The sad thing with, you know, if I may, Hal was just on the cusp where I, I think it would have cheapened their, their strategy to, you know, have him replaced and then a, a year later bring him back. Uh, the, the, the thing that annoyed me and still annoys me to this day one, I have tremendous love for the character. I mean, like I said, when I was eight and nine and ten, um, and the books were twelve cents, uh, I would uh, finding them was difficult. They didn't have stores the way. I mean, you know, I was at the mercy of either a newsstand or a pharmacy that might have the spinner rack. Um, but I had a great love for the character. I loved Gil Kane, the artist. I loved John Broom and Gardner Fox, the writers. More John Broom, the science stories. Uh, the whole mythos of, you know, this whole, uh, uh, you know, uh, intergalactic police force and the rings and the oaths. I loved it. I ate it up. It was like a, a, you know, a 1965 version of Star Wars in some ways with the force. I loved it. But then to. And you're probably more uh, laser focused uh, or, you know, the, the statistics better than me, but. There was that fight with Mongol and then the cyborg Superman and mm -hmm. the city that Hal lived in was destroyed in that battle. And then immediately in the next issue, he goes crazy. So I thought what angered me a lot was what they did ran absolutely contrary to like 37 years of history with the character just to have him fall to pieces. Um, go evil, kill some of his uh, his um, other Green Lanterns, uh, basically destroy uh, the great uh, the great power battery on Oa. It was totally at odds. It seemed almost super abrupt. And then I also think, quite frankly, um, there was a big issue of how uh, I think he killed Sinestro. And then there was a filler issue, the next, uh, the following issue with a, uh, kind of a, a shelf uh, a story with a uh, team up with green, green arrow. And then they introduced Kyle and Emerald twilight. So it was just so disjointed and uh, just so abrupt. And it ran, it ran foreign and absolutely contrary to the character that I had known for 37, 37 years or something like that. I understand. I have uh, uh, some more thoughts and questions for you, but let's take a real quick commercial break and then we'll uh, pick back. We'll pick our conversation right back up uh, in just a second. Submissions are now open for the March season of the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, New Jersey. Visit filmfreeway.com to submit your film now. Also, be sure to listen to the podcasts hosted by the festival's organizer, CJ Cullen. You can find the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast, as well as the Cullen On Film podcast, via a shared universe network. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas, whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, The Hive is where to be. 
Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. And as always, we appreciate uh, the sponsorship uh, of, of those folks. Uh, so we were talking about, you know, Hal Jordan and his his turn. And, yeah, you know, you mentioned the sequence of events. And I guess there are a couple of things that I was thinking about. So first of all, let me let me say this. You know, I was just getting into comics at this time, right? I started with Death of Superman. And so I was reading the Superman books from, you know, 92 into 93 when this was all happening. And... I did read the issue of Green Lantern where Coast City is, or actually, you know, actually I should have double checked this, but I think the actual destruction happens in the pages of one of the Superman books and then they pick they pick up with it uh, in the issue of Green Lantern, uh, which I read because there was, I think it was Green Lantern 47 or somewhere around there that tied directly into Reign of the Superman. So I read that right. issue. And his arm was injured, I think. Yeah, Exactly. Um, so, you know, again, like I had a sense, you know, obviously of who Green Lantern was and I knew Coast City was destroyed, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't follow along with Green Lantern after that, uh, you know, in the, in the immediate uh, aftermath. So I was not clocking like anything that was going on with Green Lantern at the time. Uh, you know, as the 90s went on, I guess I, I was exposed to Kyle uh, primarily through JLA. And then that was probably at the point where I was starting to maybe go back and read a bit about what had happened. You know, I forget the exact order of things for me. But the point is, like, I was really oblivious to what was going on with Hal at this point in time. But I was thinking about the fact that the precipitating event for his turn, you know, was the destruction of Coast City, which, you know, happened as part of a Superman event. Like, it mm -hmm. wasn't even his, his own storyline. Yeah. And the fact that Emerald Twilight itself, because I did eventually track down these single issues. I had them in my collection for a while. Uh, Green Lantern 48, 49, 50, the Emerald Twilight storyline. Three issues was all it took for him to turn, yeah. you know? And, and maybe that's more a product of the times because it's like today that would be a year-long storyline at, at, or at least six issues. Like the, the fact that it happened so quickly, but it, as a reader, it must have given you whiplash, right? Like to, to see the turn happen that fast? Oh, God, yeah. I used the word abrupt, you know? Um, and, and Anthony, I don't remember the particulars. Was was issue fifty one the first one where uh, uh, Kyle is really introduced? Yeah, yeah. I think okay. it's at the. I think it's the final final pages of fifty where he gets the okay. ring, and then but fifty one is like the one with Kyle on the cover, like that iconic cover uh, of of Kyle in action as Green Lantern. Right, right. Was there like how long? Because I, I, I was wondering about this. Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, uh, with these other replacements along the way during that period of time, like kind of having a sense that these were short term uh, with Hal. I mean, at what point did it sink in that, oh, this is not this is not a temporary storyline. This is not a nightfall situation like this is the long haul. Like what like when did that happen for you? Oh, well, uh, before I answer that, one thing I got to say, the unusual thing. They didn't put replacements. When you think about John Stewart and Guy Gardner, and there was a brief period of time, I think, in the late '80s, where John Stewart was the primary Green Lantern, um, and then Hal came back, right? 
and and with that that intergalactic police force, yeah, you know, you can have multiple, you know, multiple uh, Green Lanterns, multiple police officers, so to speak. Uh, but I really had the sense from the get go, from the absolute beginning, that this is not good. This is not going to be. Hey, Israel steps in, and how? Coincidentally, 12 months later, Bruce comes back. I never had that that sense. Uh, it just seemed so, like you said, you get whiplash, right? Um, but it seems so contrary to the whole premise of the character. And uh, I, I kind of got sharper with the math. I think it was 33 or 34 years of history. That just seemed absolutely contrary to the way the personality behaved and you know how heroic he was and his actions and the things he faced. So really I, I, I was disappointed. I do think um, Ron Mars, I believe was the writer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who, I don't know what sort of uh, strategic direction he got, but they quit. You know, he had the attitude a la Highlander that can, there can be only one. So they, they really pushed the whole mythos absolutely out of the picture, you know. No more central power battery, no more guardians, no other Green Lanterns. They were all murdered, killed, etc., etc. There was only one, the Green Lantern. I, I do think Ron Mars did the same thing with the Silver Surfer um, a couple of years later. But to your point, it was more protracted and prolonged. They had this kind of incremental descent into, um, I didn't read it, so I only know it through like Newsarama or CBR, but he kind of went over to the dark side. But it was more protracted. It wasn't as abrupt as what we saw in just a couple of issues. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, do you think do you think there's any version of the story that could have been told, whether it was told in a different way or told over more issues where you would have bought into it where you would have said, okay, I mean, let's, let's, let's keep the basic premise, right? Coast city, his home is destroyed. Millions of people killed. He goes to the guardians. He wants the power to, to bring them back essentially to save the city. They deny him that. And that's when he goes rogue. I mean, is there any way that you could kind of take the bones of that? Like, do you think there's any story that could have been told that you would have, you would have been on board for where you would have said, you know what? I get it. I get why he's going down this road. Oh, well, you know, to that point, um, I'm going to leap, you know, and, and you know I'm famous for non-sequiturs. Quite all right. Uh, I really think Marv Wolfman did a magnificent job in Crisis on Infinite Earths when he let Barry go out as a hero. I would have enjoyed it more if Hal had died you know, fighting Mongol or immersed in this um, and sacrificed himself, making a death a la, a la Barry, where he goes out a hero. Um, but then the other thing that I think that's interesting is if you look at all the stuff that transpired after that, like I said, a lot of fans reacted. Mm-hmm. I'm, to your point, I'm, I'm not uh, an extrovert. But there were a lot of letter-writing campaigns and communications. And then if you look at what happened for a short period of time, they did have some stories where Hal got, as Parallax, he got peace, and he kind of went into a dream world for a little bit, and then they kind of kicked that to the curb. And then they they effectively had him redeem himself 
in Final Night mm-hmm. um, when he kind of like react re- reignited the sun. Um, I don't mean to interrupt, later, but a real real quick plug uh, for listeners. Uh, I'm going to be covering the final night on uh, a special holiday edition of my Superman show, Digging for Kryptonite. Uh, that'll be out on December 23rd. So we're going to be covering Final Night, which uh, is one of the first like DC crossovers that I ever read. So it holds a special place for me. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Hal redeems himself. Uh, he defeats the Sun Eater and reignites the Sun uh, at the end of that right. miniseries. And sacrifices him. Yeah. And there, there were, there, I think there was Green Lantern issue number 81 or something. There was like a memorial mm-hmm. or um, uh, um, an honorarium to him and all the other heroes uh, appreciated his sacrifice. Um, and then later on, uh, Jeff Johns brought him back. Um, what was it? Day of judgment. Yeah. Where they, they effectively had Hal become the successor, the host body to the specter. So there was all these actions. Um, yeah, to me, the only way I would have, it would have been palatable to me would be if he were able to die in the same, in a similar fashion, the way Barry Allen died. Um, No, I, you know, I I get it. And, and, you know, your point is well taken as far as, you know, it wasn't just Hal, I mean, Hal bore the brunt of it, but it was, you know, they really did strip away all of these elements of the Green Lantern mythology. And, you know, I I don't know, it might've been the sort of thing at that point where either they were out of ideas or sales were declining and they felt like they really needed to do something to shake things up. But I mean, you're right. I mean, in terms of, you know, doing away with the guardians and the rest of the core, I mean, they really, like you, you know, like we were saying, really stripped away so much of, you know, what they would ultimately bring back, you know, so obviously everything goes in cycles, right? And when we got Green Lantern rebirth, it wasn't just the rebirth of Hal Jordan. It was the rebirth of all of these other concepts, you know, but, yeah. for, the, but for that decade, I'm sure that was tough to be a fan. Oh, listen, uh, as I said, and you know what it's like, uh, your affinity for Superman and, you know, the, the image you saw at, at Heroes World, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, you know, reading about Green Lantern when I was like eight years old and, and just going with the character, uh, you know, from the early 1960s all the way up through the early 90s. I think this was around 93, I think, possibly mm-hmm. when this happened. But I do think DC kind of shot themselves in the foot. Because I, I think it would have been better received today, but just after um, you know, kind of the relaunch with Man of Steel, and shortly thereafter there was Batman Year One, right? Um, but after Crisis on Infinite Earths, and just about the same point in time when they did, um, you know, John Byrne did Man of Steel, they had. Oliver Queen, Ray Palmer, and Green Lantern, all be heroes, they kind of acknowledge their normal age. So, you know, Hal had the white walls. Uh, Ray Palmer was likewise uh, an older hero. Ollie was in his, uh, like, 44. I know one of the stories, the Longbow Hunters referenced his birthday and his age. I think once, I, I think at that time, in the late 80s, when you effectively made Green Lantern a guy with uh, the gray hair and the white on the side, a la Reed Richards, I don't think it, it attracted young readers. I think that was, you know, um, what is it Stan Lee said, you know, uh, everyone, the first comic they buy, you know, there's a first, the first issue for everyone. But when you know it and I know it, 
that entry point, when you start reading the character in your first issue, that holds a real interesting place um, in terms of passion and loyalty and excitement. Um, so uh, Hal Jordan was my Green Lantern. Uh, I do know on one of the book clubs uh, that Mike San Gregorio quarterbacks, uh, Artie Mulford, you know, spoke about Kyle as his Green Lantern. That's who he joined with. And I can certainly relate to that. I just think um, they were too kind of myopic and um, uh, tactical. I don't think they really thought this through the way, you know, obviously we look at the backlash from fans and how, as you said, everything goes in cycles. Everything they decimated in the early 90s, they brought back with Jeff Johns in Green Lantern Rebirth. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I guess I'm in the same camp as Artie. I mean, for me, uh, you know, again, I had exposure to Hal in uh, like the reign of the Superman storyline. Um, but then I really, it's funny, like I really knew him more as a villain. He was the antagonist revealed to be the, the main antagonist in Zero Hour. Uh, and then, you know, he redeemed himself in Final Night. But even there, there was still so much tension with him and the rest of the Justice League. And then, of course, you know, becoming the Spectre in Day of Judgment. But then, you know, even there, there was still always that um, tension, tension. The, you know, the tension there. And so, you know, especially reading JLA, Morrison's JLA, that was when I really got acquainted with with Kyle. Um, I came to be a fan of Hell, honestly, through Final Night and Day of Judgment, like I was on board for those storylines, um, but especially with Green Lantern Rebirth. Um, I really loved what uh, what Jeff Johns did uh, in, in that storyline, and that kind of made me a fan of of the character. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess ultimately I would fall into that camp of Kyle being the the, the Green Lantern, certainly that I had the, the earliest um, and, you know, most sustained uh, exposure to. But yeah, it's a tough thing. And, and I know you and I have talked about this in different contexts with, with different characters. But, you know, for all of us, whoever our favorite character is, you know, there are certain qualities that, you know, are, are so indelible. And, and when you see those changed, it, it can be kind of tough. I mean, I guess I've been kind of lucky as a Superman fan, I, I guess, because he's such an icon and DC has so much, you know, at stake with that character that maybe they don't <laughs> ever take him like so far uh, afield of what uh, I guess the classic interpretation is, I mean, even in the nineties, like when he had the different powers and costume and all that stuff again, there too, I don't think anyone thought like, Oh, we're never going to see the classic costume again. Uh, I, I would say probably the closest thing that I experienced with Superman to what you experienced with Hal Jordan would be the new 52 where, you know, in this version, his relationship with Lois is gone. His parents are dead. Like that's was so counter to the version of the character I grew up with. But there too, at least, at least I had the benefit of being able to say, okay, like it's a new continuity, right? The right, timeline right. was changed in Flashpoint. This is a new version of the character. It doesn't match up with the version I grew up with, but it is what it is. But, you know, so at least I had that. But with Hal Jordan, I, you know, I, and I was just thinking about that, you know, the whole, the whole Soul War thing, you know, just kind of got me thinking about what that must have been like, uh, you know. It was demoralizing. Yeah. It was demoralizing. It was, I mean, in some ways, uh, to circle back to what we spoke about with Steve, one of the things I thought, well, this is great, but I can save a little bit of money, I don't, I'm, or I got more room in my uh, in my closet because huh, now I don't have to keep buying Green Lantern. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you ever become a Kyle fan? Yeah, um, not at first. Um. I really think Jeff Johns, and it's interesting, right? Jeff Johns did the same thing. 
uh, with uh, Doomsday Clock. He brought Clark's parents back into continuity. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Johns really got things on track with Hal and Green Lantern Rebirth. And really, instead of erasing it, pretending it didn't occur, he leaned into it. And he really made the the uh, introduction of Parallax and the actions, the behaviors as Parallax part of the story, um, which I thought was smart. And then the other thing I thought was really smart was um, they let Hal and Kyle coexist. You know, Hal kind of shook his hand and said, welcome aboard, where other times they'll have, you know, the one character be dead. And then the replacement is kind of viewed like, uh, well, that's not my hero. Here they unified it a little bit. I, I think they, they set the stage where it wasn't, um, hey, uh, the Silver Age guy is dead. Here's the modern era. Um, they opened it up. And I think, they, I think that was a smart, smart move where they kind of set the stage where, hey, these guys are different. One's, uh, you know, a, a, a test pilot, you know, um, real, real impulsive uh, super confident. The other's an artist. So they, they really, I thought, did a good job with the personalities being a little bit different. And then later on, I thought they did a great job uh, with, depending upon how you look at it, uh, there were stories in uh, certain books where uh, Alan Scott would be with them. But more often, you'd have John Stewart, Guy Gardner, Kai, and Kyle, and Hal. I thought that was pretty intriguing. Each were very different in their approach to things. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny with, with Green Lantern Rebirth, and just to clarify, we're not talking about the 2016 line-wide Rebirth initiative, but we're talking about the Green Lantern Rebirth miniseries uh, that restored Hal Jordan. And I, you know, Jeff Johns accomplished a lot in those six issues as far as, uh, you know, uh, explaining away, you know, Hal's behavior, the fact that he had been infected with the living embodiment of fear. It wasn't that he turned evil. So as far as like continuity cleanup, he, he did a lot, but I really think the best part of that was that handshake, was that handshake yes. between Hal and Kyle. Because like you said, it would have been super, super easy to just kind of kick Kyle to the curb and they didn't. And rather you got that handshake and, and gratitude from Hal to Kyle for carrying the torch and yep, I think very. for fans of both characters, it was a wonderful moment. And, you know, going back to what you were saying before about, uh, you know, what we saw when they introduced Kyle, you know, they stripped away so much of the elements of the Green Lantern mythos. And Kyle himself feels like such a reaction to Hal, right? Like where Hal at that point was the seasoned veteran with the white temples and all that. Like here you have a young kid and as opposed to you know, Hal, who was always like this confident, like hotshot, you know, fighter pilot, you know, to have someone who's more like sensitive and artistic and insecure uh, with the role, like it gave it a completely new flavor. But then I think that ultimately allowed, allowed for them to coexist even better because it's not like they're kind of, you know, playing the same dynamics, like they're, they're very different characters. And I think that allowed, you know, created space for both of them to, to, to be there together. Agreed. Yeah, very much agreed. Now, yeah. I, you know, so thank you for, for coming down this, this road with me. And I apologize for dredging up, you know, uh, <laughs> angry memories of, of being a Green Lantern fan. But I actually, I have a little, like a little comics related surprise. And uh, I want to jump back to something you said before about how, you know, our first impressions of characters are so formative. And I've, I've long felt that. And we've explored that on the podcast, uh, you know, especially, you know, I think even if you become a comics fan as an, an adult, I think this is at play, but especially if you're a kid, that first issue or that first, you know, episode of a television show, whatever it is, like it is so informative. And, um, 
I picked up something on eBay recently and I read it and uh, I'm going to hold it up to the screen. Again, you know, listeners aren't, they can't see this. They're only hearing our conversation. But when I hold it up, would you please uh, describe what it is, explain it uh, for our, our listeners? Sure. Oh my God, that was the first comic book I ever bought. World's Finest 143. That's right. Oh, I loved that book. I, oh, yeah. I, I, I remember, oh, yeah. Different memories. I remember being really young and uh, trying to get my dad to read that to me, and he wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> he goes, oh, that's garbage. <laughs> Um, but, uh, that was my, uh, prior to that, Anthony, uh, and we're going to get into this in the future. My whole experience with Superman was the TV show, the George Reeves adventures of Superman. And they were in reruns then, cause this was the early 1960s, but that was the first book. Um, and I loved, oh, that was my first introduction ever to Batman. You know, I, I knew a lot about Superman from the TV show, but also Kurt Swan. Uh, was the artist, and I think Sheldon Moldoff was the um, inker. But I just loved the whole mythos of Kendor and the whole Kryptonian background and, uh, you know, Flame, Nightwing and Flamebird. Um, that, that, uh, that, that issue has incredibly passionate, uh, fervent memories, wonderful memories for me. And that's why I wanted to experience Surprise it. Surprise me. Yeah, well, I wanted to experience it for myself. Again, you know, I, I knew we would have no problem filling an hour on this podcast. We, you know, we have plenty to talk about. And, you know, it's actually funny because one of the main, and I've talked about this before, but one of the main reasons I wanted to do this longer Halloween series was to catch up with the AR gang, right? And, you know, in the first two episodes, I had conversations with Bill and Roby, and it's like, I, I don't talk to them on a regular basis. And a lot of the people coming up on subsequent episodes fall into that same category. You were very much an outlier because we have basically weekly phone calls, which I, I treasure, and I and especially, I always have, but especially in these months of, of quarantine, uh, you know, it's really been wonderful to be able to connect like that. So, Amen. I echo, I echo that back. I definitely reciprocate on that. Uh, but so I knew, I knew filling an hour, like we, we always have stuff to talk about, but I was just thinking, I was like, well, what, you know, especially in the, whether it's AR related or comics related, it's like, what could I bring to this? That might be a little bit different. And, uh, you know, I, I knew this was your first issue and I double checked by, uh, queuing up the opening moments of my comic shop documentary, uh, because in my, my original movie, it opens with the AR gang talking about their first comics. Right. And then that, of course, leads everyone to alternate realities. Uh, and so I just confirmed the issue number that it was World's Finest 143, uh, cover dated August uh, 1964. And I tracked it. I, I first I looked to see if it was available digitally. Uh, it was not, or at least not anywhere that I could find. Uh, so I tracked down the actual issue uh, in decent condition, I must say, uh, on eBay. Because uh, I just was curious, you know, again, like, uh, again, I know what my first comic meant to me and, and the idea that this meant the same to you. It's like, well, I want to I want to know the story that got rich into comics. And let me first ask, do you still own a copy? Uh, I don't have the original one that I purchased. Uh, I think my dad threw it out during like, you know, when they were recycling newspapers or stuff. He would do that periodically, not not a, not maliciously or in a punitive fashion, but, you know, God forbid my brother and I inadvertently left him laying around and mm -hmm. he was like getting all the old magazines. and It just got caught in the wake. Um, but I did repurchase it. Um, 
um, more for fondness, just to say, uh, you know, I, I've got it. And uh, my memory is, I'm trying to do the math on this, I think that's about a 24 or 25-page story. Uh, um, and my memory is that early on, Superman goes to help Batman and Robin, and uh, the criminals, the, the robbers or whomever, shoot bullets at Superman. They bounce off him because he's invulnerable, but one of the bullets catches Bruce. And I can remember, you know, like you spoke about the experience you and your father had when uh, he would read certain stories to you and you got so enthralled with, you know, the, the death of Superman. I can remember my first exposure to Batman and Robin and just being stunned, like, who the hell's this guy? And his his costume is kind of kind of a counterpart to Superman's, with the insignia and the cape and the, you know, uh, the uh, the outside pants, you know. Um, but I was just the Batcave. So many things just flooded back. And then also, that's when I learned, holy cow, about Krypton and uh, the Bottle City of Kandor and the whole myth of uh, the Kryptonian society and civilization and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, 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 good memories, good, good memories. And, and so you, so you do currently own a copy of it then? Yes. You do. All right. I was going to offer you this, but now we each have one. So even better. And, uh, so you knew who Superman was by watching Adventures of Superman, right? But this was your, uh, exposure to Batman. So was this, um, so was your, knowledge of Superman by watching the George Reeves TV series. Is that why you were drawn to this particular comic on the newsstand? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I noticed on there was Superman. Um, and then I was wondering who the other guy was. And then I, and, um, but what's interesting and, and uh, your listeners, uh, my apologies, poor Anthony is hanging out with an old man, but the TV show, when I watched it in the early 1960s, uh, it was always it was always black and white. I mean, um, uh, I think the later seasons they filmed in color, but even uh, color TVs were a rarity back then. Um, so I grew up watching reruns of the TV show The Adventures of Superman. And Anthony, we'll get more into this, and I'm thrilled I'll be I'll be on my game. Um. But uh, the Superman in that book that you're reading or you just held up, personality, he's a little more patient than the Superman we know from the, the 1950s TV show. Yeah, I mean, another, well, just a quick tease. Uh, so Rich is going to be my guest on uh, a pair of upcoming episodes of Digging for Kryptonite uh, that'll air early 2021. Uh, we're going to be, uh, it'll, I think, be a pretty deep dive into the, the 1950s George Reeves Adventures of Superman television series. Uh, and whether you're familiar with it or not, I think you'll enjoy our, our conversation about it. I'm really excited. We've been talking about it off mic for a while now, uh, and I'm excited to record. Uh, and, and yes, the, the the Superman in that show is, and the Clark in particular, is very decisive uh, and 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 can be impatient at times. So yeah, a bit divorced from what you see in this comic. But you know, you you described the initial uh, the the opening of of World's Finest 143, where, like you said, Superman is helping Batman. The crooks fire bullets one bounces off and, and hits Batman. But so this was a fat, and again, I had never read the story before. I didn't know anything about it other than, you know, you know what you had shared. And obviously I saw the cover, so I had a, you know, a basic idea, but it was fascinating to read. 
so after Batman gets wounded, he develops an inferiority complex. I mean, I don't know how long it's been since since you. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I could I can easily go through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. Go go for it. He gets totally consumed with uh, self doubt and like, oh, you know, um, I could die. Um, you know, this is too dangerous. He the inferiority complex consumed with self-doubt and ineffective he's so down so, on himself it was fat it was so fascinating to read a batman uh just devoid of confidence i mean he was so down on himself like he yeah. didn't want to he felt he didn't deserve a spot on the batman superman team he felt he was just a liability it was like it was mind-blowing to see that version of batman Right, and then I think Superman and Jimmy come up with this plan. Hey, we need to do something to uh, re reignite his self-confidence and reawaken his value and his importance. So they come up with this ruse that, um, you know, and, and here's the backdrop. And, and again, even for me, this is how I learned about the Fortress of Solitude. And, you know, I knew who Jimmy Olsen was, but they, they, they come up with this ruse where there's an emergency in the bottle city of Kendor, which is, um, you know, a, a, a remnant of Krypton, a full city that was miniaturized by Brainiac. Um, and there were, I, 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 there were some, as I recall, there were some ancient uh, villains or criminals, bank robbers, whatever, but they had these, these special clamps that would turn them into like uh, uh, a living metal creatures, like yeah. a la Colossus from the X-Men. Yeah, like or, the metalloids, or, I think they were. Metalloids yeah, yeah, yeah. or feral lad, you know, where they just became a gray metal shell um, and just invulnerable to anything, but, you know, metalloids. Um, so the, 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 the air quotes, the ruse was, Hey, we'll take Batman down there. Uh, I'll pretend that, you know, I'm Superman. They knock me out. He's got to jump in and save me. And I do think somewhere in there, there was something where, um, they go through this, but somehow someone, um, instead of, um, playfully, or I'm sorry, instead of doing it in a benign fashion, the metalloid, they really become evil and destructive, and they're out to kill Superman. And um, I remember something where I think certain trees get knocked down, and they had to climb over a ravine to escape. Uh, the metalloids couldn't do it, but Batman was able to get Superman over to the other side of the ravine, over these fallen trees. And then I think Jimmy says something stupid like, holy cow, you know, uh, he, he kind of lets the cat out of the bag, and then Batman's all insulted, like, hey, you you know, you deceived me. Um, you were, you know, just jerking my chain. So he's about to, like, you know, storm off and go back to Earth. And um, I do think that uh, Superman was injured, and then Batman steps in. And he becomes a metalloid. Between he and Robin, they take out. Uh, I forget. I forget how it enacted. Someone overheard. Like, the, yeah, there the was a scientist. Yeah, because Superman had had an ally in the Bottle City, and and um, that was who he reached out to 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 create this ruse. And there was another actor who overheard this and usurped the plan and uh, and and used the metalloid technology for evil instead of this ruse. But it's super fun. No pun intended. It's really funny because there are uh, you know all these sequences where Superman's like, hey, like they're really making this look 
like uh, very real. And then he's like, hey, they're taking this too far. Like it takes him a while before he realizes something's like truly amiss. Uh, so that aspect of it was was really funny. Uh, and then, of course, there's, you know, the, the cover of the book is Batman and Superman dueling. Um, and we do get that uh, in uh, in the pages as well, because, you know, Superman doesn't have his powers here. So, you know, he and Batman have this duel. Uh, it was again, the thing that jumped out the most was uh, I've just never seen Batman depicted in that way. And in fairness, I've read hardly any uh, pre-crisis Batman other than probably Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, uh, barely any. So I don't really have any frame of reference for pre-crisis uh, Batman. And maybe that accounts for it. But either way, yeah, it was that jumped out at me the most was just how out of character to me Batman felt uh, being so down on himself. And then the other thing, and I don't know where I land on this. Like... On the one hand, as far as Superman's whole plan, there's something, uh, you know, deeply kind and considerate and compassionate about it, right? Like he wants to help his friend. He wants to give him his self-confidence back. But there's so much deception and it, it almost feels like, uh, I don't know, like condescending or patronizing that like he like invents this whole thing just to try to make him feel better. I, I don't know. Where, where do you land on that? Um. Uh, you know what I got to say that quite frankly was really the tenor of the times. There were a lot of stories um, in the silver age, definitely more so Superman stories where he would really do kind of deceitful things or confusing things, whether it be to Jimmy Olsen or Lois Lane or Lana Lang Um you know, really, the editors at that time were very, very uh, mis misogynistic. And it was almost like, hey, you know, women are second-class citizens. So they would really play mind games with uh, Lois and Lana. And even if you look at some of the covers, um, I think Bill, Bill, uh, you know, there's a website that really talks about all the jerk actions Superman takes in the Silver Age. Like he adopts Jimmy, and then he kicks him to the curb, and... Um, but there was always some like, you know, a uh, very, 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 um, uh, intricate, uh, almost, um, unimaginable thing like, oh, you know, there's some space aliens that, through their telescope. We're just going to deceive them for this. That's why I had to treat you like crap, Jimmy. Um, uh, so it was, it was the tenor of the times, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. I guess, I don't know. It was hard for me to put my finger on it as I was reading it, but as we're talking about it, I guess, like that version of Superman just, it feels like he's more removed from the human experience, you know, that he's more detached and he's sort of like playing with people's emotions like that, even if it's well-intentioned in the case of the world's finest issue. Uh, I guess that's sort of like what it makes me feel uh, reading it. But yeah, it was fascinating. I'm, you know, I'm glad I was able to to find it. I got it on eBay and, uh, you know, so I'm glad I can say like I, the, the comic that got you into comics, your first one, like I've, I've, I've read and I definitely enjoyed it and, you know, in, in its own way, you know? Well, uh, yeah, you just, I, I, there's another thought that's kind of, uh, percolating and, and coming to the top of my head. It was the tenor of the times. Um, but then also if I may, this was really, you know, like just less than 10 years after Wortham with all the, uh, the congressional hearings and how 
comics are so 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 um destructive and they they plant bad ideas in, in people in young boys minds so the comic code came out they and then the other thing is it was really only marvel that started doing continuing stories if you look back at dc back in the early 60s everything was done in one because there were no distribution shops and there in some ways there was no appreciation for continuity so these things were written for 10 year olds um but I do think it was just reflective of, of the time in which it occurred. Uh, and I think it's, it's common. If you look at, if you were to browse some other covers from world's finest, there's a lot of those mysterious, like, Oh, Hey, I got to hide this from Batman. Like he, he uses his x-ray vision to, to burn a message, uh, destroy it. So Batman doesn't see it. Um, I think some of it candidly was kind of the, the tease of the cover as well. Gotcha. And so as far as the comics buying experience itself, so this was early sixties. Uh, so were you still living in Illinois at the time? Yes. Yeah. Cause we've talked about how, you know, we've numerous times we've recounted your first meeting with, with Odo when you moved to white Plains, New York, uh, when you were in high school. But so at this point in time, you were still in Illinois and this was like a rural area, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, or more suburban. Small, it was a small village. Okay. It was about, um, uh, I would say um, a half an hour train ride from downtown Chicago. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, how should I say it? Uh, society was totally different then. I mean, Kennedy had just died. I remember that. Um, um, and I can remember bringing that comic you just held up home. And that really birthed my comic buying experience because prior to then, uh, if if one of the uh, there there was no one in my neighborhood who read comics, I was an outlier. I was in isolation. So the only time I would ever get to see a comic would be if if my dad went to a barber shop and there were some on one of the side tables. That was the only exposure I got. Um, then that you know uh, that that really did stimulate Superman in the '60s was a big one to buy. World's Finest was big, Justice League. Um, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, I can remember being, you know, God forbid there was a two-parter and you didn't get that second one. You, I was at the at the mercy of the, you know, the guy in the pharmacy. Do they let them stay up on the spinner or do they throw them out? Yeah, you know, I, I'm always fascinated when we talk about, you know, that period of time before there were, you know, uh, comic book specialty shops because, yeah, you really were contending with a very unreliable newsstand distribution system like you didn't know you know you got world's finest 143 you didn't know if they would carry 144 you know the next month and where was it specifically where was this newsstand was that a train station so, yes yeah. you've got a superb memory yes it was it was at the train station in the village i grew up in and uh, it was a, a newsstand for all practical purposes and uh i forget uh I truly think what had happened is um, I remember walking into the village. It was maybe a half a mile walk with my mother. She had, she wanted to go into a card store and get some, some cards. It took longer than expected. So she bought me that as a reward for me just hanging out. Um, so fond memories, fond memories, but boy, th that, that was the spark that lit everything. Um, 
we're now, uh, you know, effectively uh, 55 years later, I'm still talking about it. Well, I'm, listen, I'm glad that you had that exposure. We might not be friends. We might not never have known each other or, uh, you know, had that meeting about uh, JLA Spectre Soul War. You know, had it not been for that. Uh, so so I'm, I'm glad and I'm glad that we were able to, to talk about it. Uh, you know, we, we began this episode by talking about, <clears throat> as we wind down here, you know, we started by talking about, you know, the routine that you used to have uh, as far as coming to alternate realities between Christmas and New Year's. You know, sadly, that, you know, that routine went away right when the store did. But you, we sort of created a new one with that New Year's that New Year's Day brunch. Uh, brunch, which, you know, fortunately this year uh, we won't be able to have, but I'm, I'm sure we'll return uh, the year after, hopefully. Uh, and but, we also, oh, oh, the holiday dinners, there yeah. would, you know, I remember last year we got, we had a big turnout, almost what, 20 people or something? Um, that was the one I organized, but then I was sick and I, I, did, sick. I didn't make it. <laughs> but, you were sick. But I'm glad it, I'm glad it happened. Uh, but you know, so all these traditions that sort of, uh, you know, I mean, again, certainly the, you know, this year in particular has thrown a lot off, but between the closing of the store and now the pandemic, I know, you know, routines are still off, but I'm so glad that, you know, we've, you know, we've kept in touch. And in the first episode of the longer Halloween, Bill and I, we, uh, talked about how honored we are to be on your call list, uh, on, on the weekends. And I won't, you know, I don't want to sort of even try to peek behind the curtain too much. So I won't ask many questions, but I, I, I guess, what did I want to ask? Oh, like over a given weekend, roughly how many calls are you making? Hmm. I'd say easily eight or nine or 10. Over the two days. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, you know, it's, and that's, that's not nothing. And, you know, it's because, you know, having had all these phone conversations with you, it's like, you know, it's not dissimilar from like hosting a podcast or something like that. And I know like if I do two episodes in a row, I'm like, OK, I need a break now. So, you know, for you to have all these phone calls and, and, and I, I know because I have them with you, it's like I know how engaged you are. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that that's really something. And I know, you know, we enjoy it. I know you enjoy it. Um, are they because obviously like some of we know like you know those of us who kind of get the call every every weekend is it always a set list or are there are there kind of like floaters like are there some people who will get a call like every other week or once a month or or is it really like a set like a set list every weekend there are certain absolute calls i make every weekend and there are some others um like uh, geez i love my uncle bob and my cousin charlie but i might call them every every three or four weeks um, and then some of my nephews now, uh, the, <laughs> the most baffling thing is I cannot tell you the number of Sundays when all of a sudden I realized, holy shit, it's six o'clock at night. I got to make dinner, but I burnt maybe six hours in phone calls between noon and 6 PM. It just, I get on the things and, and, you know, you and I chat for, you know, conceivably 45 minutes, same thing with bill. Now, we were really getting into impromptu um, podcast preps for Superman. And uh, um, I urge you, your listeners, to listen to us because by tremendous good fortune and serendipity, you and I both watched the very origin story uh, from, what, 1952 or 53, almost the same weekend. And that would have been, that would have been lightning in a bottle if we had recorded that because we were so jazzed and so amped up. 
But but all these calls, you know, every phone call I'll make, it's a good forty five minutes each call, and I, especially with COVID, it's keeping me sane. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, and, and again, for, you know, for myself as well, as much as, you know, I have my wife and my son, so like I have plenty of company here, but, you know, to just be able to, you know, engage in a different way and, you know, talk about, you know, stuff like this, uh, you know, and, and catch up with you is, oh, I always enjoy it. Uh, just as far as like uh, the ritual habits, like that sort of thing. You know, one thing that I, I'm actually kind of worried about w- with you is uh, we've spoken many times about how firm a handshake you have. And I was thinking about this. It's like, you know, Rich hasn't been able to shake hands for almost a year. Do you think that you've, you've lost any power or, or have you been building it up? Like, is your handshake <laughs> going to be even more crushing than before? What do you, have you thought about this at all? I haven't thought about it, but I'm probably going to get one of those vice grips to start working out, uh, to prepare for re-entry, uh, once, once the vaccine's around. No, I, I haven't, I didn't see that coming by way of a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking, I was like, you know, I'm right. You know, out of all of the things that we haven't been able to do, because I was thinking about, you know, not being able to come in for the new year's brunch and things like that. But it's like, yeah, just shaking hands. Uh, Cause again, as we've always talked about, you have a, uh, but I, I, I do feel like it's worth mentioning, right? Cause we always joke about your handshake, but I want listeners to be clear. Like there's nothing, it's not like Rich is purposely trying to hurt anyone's hand. Like he's not, I think this is important because it's like, you're not making, or at least I don't think, you know, you're not making a show of it. It's not like, hey, I'm going to show you how, it's just, it's it's innate. Um, and again, it's not like it wouldn't hurt anybody. And I feel like if you were shaking hands with someone who you really knew couldn't take it, you know, you would, you would uh, hold back a little bit. Um, is that something that... Um, is that something like that your dad taught you from an early age, like a firm handshake, look people in the eye, or is that something that you kind of developed when you entered the business world or somewhere in between? I think I, I definitely both. My sister reminded me of this. Um, but my, my dad always said, you know, whenever you meet someone, you know, give them a good handshake and look them in the eye and introduce yourself and get their name and treat them with respect. Now I had forgotten that, but, but, um, Boy, I don't know. And it's not something I try to do. It's it's innate. It's natural. Um, to uh, I'll try to do this justice, but I'm, I'm fuzzy on this. Uh, but um, must have been pushing on, on uh, 12 and a half years ago. My father passed away. And Drew and Steve and Bill Mayo all came up and attended the ceremony, and it, it warmed my heart. Yeah, I mean, Drew was working in Manhattan. He drove out to where they were and then drove back to work. But uh, Bill came up, I think, from Baltimore, and that blew my mind. And I remember that late that night, I finally got back home alone, and I, I called a number of people and expressed my thanks. I called Steve, and I called Drew, and I called Bill. And... Uh, um, I, as soon as I called Bill, I said, you'll never guess what Steve said when I called him. He goes, I'll tell you what he said. He, he said, you have the weakest handshake of all your brothers, right? Or every, you know, and, and I go, how did you know that? Cause it, it freaked me out. You know, Steve's first comment, you know, is, Hey, you got the weakest handshake of all your brothers. Um, 
Bill, how did you know that? And he goes, are you kidding me? That's all he spoke about in the drive home. It was like an hour and 15 minute, hour and 20 minute drive home. But Steve was so wound up on that. I know. No, I heard it as well. I was, I think I was, because I have, I do remember this. I think I watched the store that day uh, when they all went. Uh, and I remember Steve, uh, Steve sharing that when, when he came back, uh, I, you know, cause I don't know, I, I, I'm sure we've said this before, but just, just to reiterate, uh, cause I was reflecting on the power of the handshake and I really think, uh, you know, obviously the grip strength is there for sure, but it really is that step. You take a step forward, like you step into the handshake. And I think that's where you really build up that momentum and it transfers okay. to the hand. And I think that's like what really... I think that's what puts it over the top. Now, if you didn't take that step, it would still be a more than respectable, more than firm handshake. Like I'm not trying to take anything away from the grip, but I think really what puts you into another category is that step. It's the step into it. But, uh, you know, it certainly, um, you know, is something that obviously has made an impression on, on all of us. And it's something that, you know, I've tried to carry forward. And, you know, it's funny, like I meet a lot of people in, in my capacity as a, law school admissions officer. It's like, I meet a lot of people, uh, you know, prospective students and, uh, you know, and I know there, I know there are some people who, you know, if, if you have like a, some, any sort of physical or social condition where you can't shake hands, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not including you in this, but, you know, generally speaking, you know, yeah, you can tell a lot about someone, I think, by the way, you know, they introduce themselves, um, not even the, not so much the, the strength of their grip, but, you know, is it a firm handshake? Are they making eye contact? You know, uh, you really can. We're, we're moving into... We're moving into Ron Swanson territory now. Yeah, but uh, but no, it's you know it's, it's always interesting to me. Uh, so you know, again, I'm sure that um, yeah, I don't know. In my mind, I was thinking, yeah, that you you might have lost a step, you know, as a result of not being able to shake hands. But I don't know. As we're talking about it, I feel like it might be that you've you've gone the other direction and you're like you've built up all this, <laughs> like pent up handshake power, and the oh, next okay. person who gets a handshake better have some ice yeah. on hand afterwards. Um, well, you know, uh, it's a sad commentary. Who knows when I'll be shaking hands again, right? I think even even with the vaccine, I think it's going to be. I, mean, I think masks and and some of the social distancing things are going to last with us uh, for a while. So uh, I might be doing a you know a fist bump or uh, uh, an elbow. You know. Well, you know, like I. I think it would be a stretch if like handshakes never came back, but you know, you never know. And I know there have been, you know, there's been talk of some of these things like along the way during, during the pandemic of, you know, are there certain social conventions that might go away? Uh, you know, once, you know, once we're you know, obviously certainly now, but even once we're past this, you know, and yeah, you do kind of wonder like handshakes, like now everyone has gone a year without shaking hands. It's like, might that be something that sort of falls away? I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, you never know. You never know. You never know. I didn't see that coming by, 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 in terms of a segment of discussion. Uh, I know. Why well, between that and, and surprising you with the comic, I try to keep you on your toes. But I figure it's all you do. It's all good you fun do. stuff. You know, it's all it's all in good fun. Um, so we've been we've been talking for about an hour and a half. I think uh, this is a good point to sort of. Uh, wrap up, but you know, uh, as always, you know, thank you for for coming on and doing this. Um, I know I just said it a moment ago, but I really, you know, the the phone calls that we have, I enjoy so much, and I can't wait until we record our episodes of Digging for Kryptonite. That's really going to be a lot of fun. You know, those we'll be recording shortly, so we'll 
you know, be doing it virtually like this. But, uh, you know, I certainly look forward <laughs> to the day when I can have you over to the brand new uh, Flat Squirrel Studios and actually do one of these things face to face. Uh, and when we can have one of our dinners uh, all as a group again, uh, it, it'll be great. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm gl so glad that, you know, we've been able to keep in touch and that you're staying safe and healthy. I echo that back. I thank you for this. I thank you. Give my best uh, to Steph and Milo. Uh, extend my best wishes. Uh, and I'm, I'm, and I, I urge the listeners to come in. Uh, when Anthony and I get to discuss um, the adventures of Superman for the 1950s, candidly, both of us, I think, immersed ourselves in this. Uh, there was a synergy. Each of our interests fed the other. And I've watched more of these episodes than I ever planned to do so. And I'm getting more out of it. I'm really peeling the layers of the onion back. So uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, you know, I know I've plugged it a few times, but really, you know, for anyone listening to this, if, if you, well, if you like listening to me and you like listening to Rich and, you know, if, and certainly if you're interested in Superman, I really do encourage you to check out uh, Digging for Kryptonite. Uh, we have a few episodes that are out already. And then again, the Adventures of Superman ones with Rich, that'll be coming uh, early in, in 2021. But, you know, exactly what you were saying, I've heard this now, I think from every person I've had on the show as a guest, you know, because we've been talking about various comics runs and movies and things like that. And, and everyone has kind of said like they've appreciated the opportunity to have a reason to revisit the material and to engage with it in a different way. Because it's really true. And I, I certainly know this personally. It's like, you know, reading or watching something for fun is one thing and that's great but when you're when you're consuming it knowing that you're going to be analyzing it and discussing it it's like you really do engage with it in a different way and i think you get something different out of it uh so i i felt the same about you know watching adventures of superman it's like even if i were just binging it for fun like i would enjoy it but you know knowing that like oh like i'm gonna talk to rich about this and we'll record an episode like it, it really just adds this whole other dimension to it Eminently well said. Eminently well said. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I can't wait to uh, discuss the the different episodes and share our comments. Uh, but as you said, you know, this is not a uh, doubting, um, uh, sensitive. Uh, this guy is, you know, no nonsense. This Superman. Uh, so, I, I heard if people are interested in the different portrayals and different renditions uh george reeves set uh, set a pretty hard bar for sure uh well thank you again rich uh thank you to to all of our listeners i hope that everyone uh has a safe and 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 healthy and happy uh holiday uh we'll be back with the next installment of the longer halloween in early january my guest will be uh doug desher uh who hasn't been on the show in in, in probably a few years so it'll, it'll be fun to catch up with him and until then don't be a flat squirrel. My Comic Shop History is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Philtastic Phil Menza, music by Basic Printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to listen to Digging for Kryptonite, available on most major podcast platforms. Sign up for exclusive content at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato and watch My Comic Shop Country out now on Apple TV and Amazon. <laughs>